welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Intersectionality, a word that uh, practically nobody had even heard of 10 years ago. And now you can uh, hardly go a day without hearing this word in the news or on the internet or in your company's latest training video. Uh, And if you don't hear this word on practically a daily basis, you do hear the concept being taught on a daily basis. Basically, intersectionality is the idea that you ought to take a person's overlapping identities into consideration when evaluating how oppressed or empowered they are. According to Wikipedia, the universal standard for all things true, intersectionality can be defined as follows, quote, intersectionality is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. Intersectionality identifies multiple factors of advantage and disadvantage. Examples of these factors include gender, caste, sex, race, ethnicity, class, sexuality, religion, disability, weight, and physical appearance. These intersecting and overlapping social identities may be both empowering and oppressing, end quote. Going down the page a little bit, it says this, quote, The term was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. Intersectionality is a qualitative analytic framework developed in the late 20th century that identifies how interlocking systems of power affect those who are most marginalized in society. Activists use the framework to promote social and political egalitarianism. Intersectionality opposes analytical systems that treat each axis of oppression in isolation, end quote. All right, if none of that made sense, the last sentence is uh, at least important here for what we're uh, trying to say today. Uh, Intersectionality is opposed to systems that treat each axis of oppression in isolation. What this means is that intersectionality is not concerned with evaluating just one dimension of your identity, but with all of them and how they intersect. So instead of being concerned with the oppression of someone because they are black, intersectionality is more concerned with the oppression of someone because they are black and homosexual. And so these two identities overlap in such a way as to create a supposedly unique form of oppression. Uh, An example that I've heard uh, advocates use before uh, in some variation or form is is essentially you have um, uh, an employer who doesn't discriminate against women, and the employer does not discriminate against black people, but he does discriminate against black women. And so intersectionality says we are bringing some insight into what's going on here that when these identities overlap or intersect in these unique ways, then there are more opportunities for injustice and opportunities for uh, oppression. Of course, there's no denying uh, that intersectionality is a big part of today's social justice movement. What we are concerned about today is exploring whether or not it is a legitimate paradigm for uncovering justice. I want to read to, read to you um, a little bit from uh, Rosaria Butterfield. She has um, an article uh, that she wrote on intersectionality, um, and it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty helpful uh, article. 
I'm going to read you a few sections um, from it. The first one's a little bit more lengthy, um, and then uh, a little bit later I'll, I'll read one or two more here. She says this, quote, How have we arrived at a place where students on elite college campuses perceive objective truth as a threat to personal safety and authentic selfhood? The answer is intersectionality. An analytical tool introduced in humanities and social science departments in U.S. universities in the 1990s. Intersectionality creates a meta-narrative, or a grand story, out of oppression. It maintains that the world is made up of power struggles and that white, male, heterosexual patriarchy must be destroyed in order to liberate those who are oppressed by it. It understands the biblical complementarity of husbands and wives as perverted and weaponized. It believes that if we can expose the myriad ways in which people suffer down to the smallest detail and then rearrange the power oppressions, we have the ability to re-employ a person's history of oppression and destiny of liberation. Suffering in this worldview includes both material and perceived suffering. Uh, the dignitary harm clause of Obergefell versus Hodge's decision, the 2015 Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states, expanded the concept of harm to include harm of one's dignity and identity. Thus, any perceived rejection of personal identity based in LGBTQ plus affirmation constitutes harm. Harm, then, is both material and psychological, both real and perceived, end quote. This means that uh, part of what is going on here with intersectionality is an expansion of what uh, qualifies as harm. Harm can be now in today's world, it, 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 harm used to be thought of primarily in physical terms. And if you are going to harm someone, you are going to physically harm them. Today, harm is perceived more in psychological terms terms. It's kind of the the result of our modern age of the therapeutic. And so uh, when you're talking about psychological harm, it does not even have to be actual psychological harm. It can be perceived psychological harm. And so if someone has perceived that you have harmed them, then you have harmed them. Now, what is very, uh, uh, very dangerous about intersectionality and actually increases its danger, is when it is combined with standpoint epistemology. I'm not going to go over this again because we talked about this in one of our very first podcasts on the social justice movement. I think it was the second one, if I'm correct. Uh, but basically, standpoint epistemology says that a person's social location gives them unique access to truth. So if you happen to be, um, uh, talk about men versus women, um, a, a woman, uh, according to this movement, her social location is such that she is uh, oppressed um, and the, the man is the dominant one and he's not. So the, the woman has more access to truth because of standpoint epistemology. In fact, men ought to shut up and listen to women uh, because they have insights about truth that we do not have access to. Uh, and, and the more that you are oppressed... Uh, or said to be oppressed, and uh, the more groups that you belong to that are oppressed, the more access to truth you have. So if you combine this with intersectionality, you have a, a real recipe for disaster. This is why you have all the calls today for people to be quiet and listen to an intersectional voice. If you are a black man 
then you have one point of oppression against you. If you are a black woman, then you have two. This is intersectionality. You're black and you're a woman. So you have this intersecting reality. If you are a black lesbian woman, then you have three. And if you're a black lesbian transgender woman, then you have four. Uh, the, The more intersections of oppression that you have, combine this with standpoint epistemology, the more intersections of oppression that you have, the more insight you have to truth, which actually is just a form of repackaged Gnosticism. And the more insight you have, the more you are permitted to speak and everyone else has to be quiet. Forget whether what you're saying is true or not. That, that's irrelevant for, for intersectionality and standpoint epistemology. What matters is the number of intersections that you have. Now, the reverse, of course, is also true, uh, reverse intersectionality of sorts, because the Wikipedia definition also discussed the evaluation of areas of advantage, not just disadvantage. So as an example, I personally have many, many points against me, according to intersectionality. I am white, I am a man, and I am a Christian. And so my voice, according to this paradigm, ought to be silenced. Uh, You ought not even be listening to this podcast right now. We need to eliminate my voice and make room for the voice of the oppressed through the paradigm of intersectionality. Here's what Rosaria Butterfield says about this quote. It works like this. When we allow those with a hefty load of intersections, perhaps a transgender woman of color who is deaf and poor and incarcerated, to have a larger voice in a culture and simultaneously require those who have white male heterosexual privilege to remain silent, we supposedly tear down the walls of material violence. Indeed, intersectionality maintains that who you are is measured by how many victim statuses you can claim, end quote. Now, what is important to note here um, is that the content of your message is irrelevant, at least mostly, of course, there's always an inconsistency somewhere, and if the content of your message goes against the narrative, then it's disqualified. But most of the time, the content of the message is irrelevant. Uh, you don't have to stand for truth. You just have to say anything you want to because of these intersecting realities. And so someone who is uh, has a larger number of intersecting um, points of oppression— Uh, They have a louder voice in our culture. We should make room for those people, uh, no matter what they say. Um, And we need to just listen to them. They could be saying a bunch of lies, and we still need to listen to them. Let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, Thabiti um, made a uh, comment. uh, This was uh, a couple years ago uh, after the most recent uh, presidential election. And uh, Thabiti uh, implemented uh, intersectionality. Uh, And I'll read to you uh, New York Times. uh, He commented on a New York Times tweet. And the New York Times tweeted this. They said, uh, Kamala Harris makes history as vice president-elect. Harris is the first woman, the first black person, and the first person of Indian descent to be elected to that position. So that's the New York Times uh, quote here. Um, and, of course, you can see intersectionality at play in there. Uh, there's these intersecting realities, woman, black, Indian descent. These things intersect together. Uh, and, uh, of course, it gives her supposedly a greater position for voice, um, so on and so forth. Well, Thabiti, unfortunately, shares this and says this. 
He says, quote, take a moment and appreciate the historical aspects of this election. It doesn't eliminate the seriously problematic aspects, but these historical moments also reveal God's grace to us, end quote. So what he is saying, uh, and, wh- and what you can see here, is that you have intersectionality out in full force. Harris, of course, has these intersecting lines of oppression. She is a woman. She's black, Indian descent. She's the first in this intersecting web to become vice president. Now, Thabiti does give lip service to the problematic aspects, a.k.a. slaughtering babies in the womb, but apparently that isn't weighty enough for him to avoid celebration here, which really makes you concerned for Thabiti. What I can tell you is that I can't wait for the first left-handed, blue-eyed, brown-haired, five-foot-five-inch, transgender, woman, Asian descent, Irish descent, black descent, Indian descent, Eskimo descent, OCD, ADHD, Thursday evening knitting club member who identifies as they-them for our next president. Because I'm not sure that this particular group of people has a voice in America, and I've been very concerned for that lately. You have to agree with Butterfield, who says... Intersectionality produces never-ending social division and fragmentation. Now, this is where scripture and the gospel come into play, because the gospel does the exact opposite of intersectionality. Where intersectionality divides, the gospel unifies. The chief sin in intersectionality is that it judges based on appearances, not on true judgment. Jesus Christ says in John 7, 24, "...do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment." People ought not be judged based on their appearances. They ought not be judged based on their skin color or their descent or anything else. This attribute of Christ was predicted in Isaiah, where we read in Isaiah 11, 3 through 4, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Divine judgment is based on behavior. It's either going to be your behavior, and you go to hell, or Christ's behavior, and you go to heaven. There's nothing here of skin color. In fact, the Lord makes it clear to Samuel that he judges not according to human judgment. Instead, he judges the heart. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, We read this, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, black people, white people, people with Indian descent, they all have the same color blood. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. He looks at the heart in Jeremiah 17, 10, we read, I, the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God gives according to deeds, not according to skin color. The important biblical principle here is that we ought to judge, or we ought not to judge based on appearance. But that's exactly what intersectionality does. Decisions and judgments are made based on the group status rather than on the individual. This is misaligned because you're picking sides before hearing the case. If you see people in categories, whatever that is, black, white, employee, employer, then you already have a bias. You've already picked sides. People need to be seen and treated independently of their classification. Only the gospel sets us free from this error. Intersectionality values group membership above the individual and creates a fractured society. Intersectionality throws fuel on the very fire it it intended to put out. Instead of resolving conflict, it multiplies it. Instead of creating unity, it fosters division. 
Jesus told us a long time ago that we ought not judge by appearances. And before that, we were told man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. As it turns out, every generation falls into the same trap. The only thing that changes is the wrapping paper. The gospel sets us free from this madness. Underneath our skin and our heritage and our height and our eye color, we all have the same needy hearts. We are all sinners. We don't need to know a person's skin color to know if they're an oppressor or not. We need to know their heart. And fortunately, the God who created us, the God who knows all of our hearts perfectly, has made a way for things to be set right. He did this when he nailed our sins to the cross and removed the hostility. He paved a way for us to be first united with himself. But secondly, this gospel message made a way for us to be unified with one another. And the only way we can experience this peace and this unity is through the grace of the gospel, through the grace of Jesus Christ. This is a call for us to repent and believe in the gospel because it is sufficient. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com. 